So let's have a look at it together. Uh, open up your Bibles to Exodus uh, chapters 13 and 14. I'm going to move through almost to chapter 15 today, so you're going to need to uh, move with me. And uh, we'll read past it as we go. Uh, and some of you will probably uh, remember the story of the Exodus. And uh, we're going to just see the first part of it, because this is a bit of a story. It helps us work out where we are. So we're in chapter 13, verse 17. And we're going to work our three way through. And we're going to read through to verse, chapter 12, verse 9 to start with. Follow on with me. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country. Though that was shorter, but God said if they faced war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert and rode towards the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready to battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made Israelites swear on oath. It said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving Sukkoth, they camped at Etham and on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way and by night, a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Haranoth between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal-Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and I'll harden Pharaoh's heart and he'll pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We've let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariots made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of his best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea of Pi-Harioth, opposite Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the, there were the Egyptians marching, marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. Technology, don't you love it? Uh, it's interesting, isn't it, the story? You could just read the whole story and just get engrossed into it. It's one of those ones that if you take time to look at it and think it through, it really does grab you into it and you think, what's happening here? There's lots of little bits and pieces going on all around it and it sort of grabs your attention to think, what's going to happen here? Well, remember what has happened. Uh, back in Exodus chapter 1, uh, we found out about Moses, didn't we? We found out how uh, the Pharaoh was going to kill all the babies, but he was put into the water and he was saved. He grew up, he killed an Egyptian, he took off, he got married. Uh, God spoke to him through the burning bush. He came back and he said to Pharaoh, let my people go. And then we heard all the different plagues, didn't we? All the way through, right up to last week, and we heard about the Passover and the last plague, the death of the firstborn child. Well, all this has happened and Pharaoh said, okay, go, get out of here. And that's what's happened. They've gone. The Israelites have packed up camp. 
Uh, they've actually gone and gained a whole lot of extra material from the Egyptians. They've given it to them and they're off. And by this point in time, we think there's something close to 2 million Israelites heading off. Uh, picture like this, wouldn't it? Without the cars. Uh, it's, we've seen it, haven't we, lately? If you see what's happening in Syria at the moment, 4 million people have exited out of Syria because of all the strife. Well, here we have 2 million people exiting out of Egypt to go to be God's people in God's place under God's rule. It's like you'd almost say more than the whole city of Brisbane getting up one night and then going. That's amazing, isn't it? That many people were taking off and into the desert and they're on their way. It's a phenomenal picture. It's hard to grasp, but we want to grasp it and go, wow, that many people. God is moving that many people out of Egypt to bring about his people in his place under his rule. He was starting to fulfil his promises, wasn't he? If you go back to Exodus chapter 3, you'll see that God said to Moses in the burning bush, he said, I will take my people and I will take them out of Egypt and they will become my people in the promised land. God is starting to bring about his promises. I'm not sure how that got up to there. Maybe I put this. God was starting to keep his promises. But it was even before that, wasn't it, too? If you go back into Genesis chapter 12, right back near the very beginning, God said to Abraham that he will be a father of many nations, many people. They will be my people. They will come and be in my land under my rule. That was the promise of God to Abraham. He promises again in Exodus chapter 3, and now we start to see God bringing about and fulfilling his promises. Two million of his people going out to become his people in his place under his rule. It's an amazing thing because God is taking these people. They were servants, weren't they, of Egypt? Now they become servants of God. They were a band of slaves and now they become a full nation. This is to make you go, wow, isn't it? The people of Israel, they must be thinking, this is phenomenal. This is crazy. What is going on here? This is mind-blowing. We would never have thought that we've gone this way. The biggest picture of this is to make us sit back and go, wow, too. God is moving huge numbers of people, fulfilling his promises, and he's guiding his people on the way. Uh, did you notice uh, when you read that passage, uh, God doesn't take them through the very first sentence, doesn't take them through the shortest route, he takes them on a different route, around the outside, he takes them through another path, uh, so they don't have to fight the Philistines yet. But God's guiding and directing them, isn't he? He's taking them in that way. But not only is he doing that, it seems strange. Why take them the long way? This is two million people, God. Why do that? And then we see later that he actually gets them to camp down with the sea on one side and a huge big escarpment on the other side, right in there in a place. Well, if you're going to be attacked, that is not a good place to be, is it? What are we doing, God? What are you doing? He's guiding and directing these people. It's a phenomenal thing to go, wow, but then to go, what's going on here? What are you doing, God? What's happening here? Well, it gets worse too, doesn't it? Because Pharaoh gets upset. Uh, he thinks, what are you doing? These guys have got out of here. We're losing all the 
manpower. We're not going to be able to build all the things that we want to build. So he takes off, doesn't he? He takes off after them. He grabs his 600 best chariot drivers. He grabs them together. And then he brings all his best men and he forms an army and he takes off after them. And not only does he take off after them, but he actually comes across them. Right down there in verse, he says, I overtook them. That means he's, he's there. He's on the hills looking down on top of these two million the Israelites sitting there and the Israelites look up and go, Ah! What are you doing, God? But then at the same time, God is doing some other amazing stuff. Because we hear that during the day there's a pillar of cloud that has been leading them all the way and guiding them, directing them. And then at night there's a pillar of fire so that they can see what's going on. And then a little bit later we hear that the angel of God comes in as well and he's there to help protect them as well. When was the last time that you followed a pillar of cloud? Well, I mean, getting away from one when there's a storm coming. Or whenever you ever see a pillar of fire in the middle of the night. This is phenomenal stuff. This is an amazing story. It's going to make us go, wow, what's going to happen here, God? What's going to go on? Well, the Israelites probably were going, wow, for a little while. But then they're going, God, what are you doing to us? Look at verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians, Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there was no more graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better to us serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. That seems like a crazy response, doesn't it? They've just been had all these ten plagues. They've just been led out there. They've just been shown. They've got a pillar of uh, cloud out the front. They've got a pillar of fire at night. They've got the angel of the Lord hanging around. And then they go, God, it would have been better for us to stay in Egypt. They're moaning and whinging, weren't they? We're not going to talk a whole lot about that now because they continue with that, the Israelites. Uh, a little bit later on, we're going to find out about their moaning and whinging again. What's going to happen? They are scared is what is happening. They've actually, the sense that we get in the Bible there doesn't really give us, it's almost like they've completely spat the dummy and gone off their tree like a little baby in the aisle when they didn't get their Easter egg they should have got, they thought they should have got. Going, spitting the dummy on the ground, crying and going off. It's almost a picture like that, that they're just going crazy at God because they're scared witless because they can see the Egyptians there. They think, God, what are you going to do? You just brought us out here to massacre us. Well, God's going to show them how they need to go, wow. Have a look at what they do next from chapters verse, uh, verse 15 onwards. We'll go start from verse 19. Uh, I'm just going to jump a little section there where God rebukes them and then we're going to come down and just listen to the story. We've heard it so many times. But just have a listen. Here we remember there's two million Egyptians, I mean Israel, Israel, Israelites there encamped and, and then they've got the whole Egyptian army with the best fighters bearing down on them. Everything that's gone on around them, there's this picture, they're going off their tree scared. The Egyptians think we're going to wipe these guys out and then God steps in. Then the angel of God who had been travelling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. 
The pillar of cloud also moved in from in front and stood behind them. Coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel, throughout the night the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side so that neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on the right and on their left. Now that has got to blow your mind, doesn't it? That is an amazing picture. This is the Red Sea. No one crosses the Red Sea unless you're on a boat. You can't do it. But here God separates the waters and they walk straight through the middle. Wow. And that continues on. The Egyptians pursued them and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and the cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots and they had difficulty driving and the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak the sea went back into its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back over and covered the chariots and the horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh, the defoe, the Israelites, into the sea. Not one of them survived. Pretty sad too, isn't it? It's devastating. But God has stepped in, hasn't he? If you read back a little bit earlier, twice in the early passage in chapter 14 onwards, he says, I will do this and people will know that I am God. I will do this and the Egyptian will know that I am God. I will do this and you will know that I am God. God wants people to know him. God wants people to understand that he is the God over everything and if you want to fight God, you're going to lose. You see, that's what Pharaoh thought. Pharaoh battled God all the way through, didn't he? He said, no, 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 no. It's me. I'm the one true God. I rule this land. I am in control. And God kept coming and saying, no, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. Pharaoh, at the end, when they've gone, he sent them off. And even before he sent them off, he almost said, please bless me at this time by your God. Sends them off. And then he said, no, you idiot. I'm real God. I need to take, I'm going to take on this God again. You would have thought he would have learned his lesson, wouldn't you? He takes on God again and he loses. It's a good lesson, isn't it? For all of us. You take on God, you're going to lose. But if you stand with God, you're going to be saved. That's what happens to the Israelites, don't they? Even in amongst their whinging, God is still gracious to them. Even in amongst their moaning and complaining, God says, no, you're going to be my people. And he opens up the sea and they walk through and they come into his land. Well, they're on their way to his land, aren't they? This is an amazing picture of God delivering his people. Two million of them walking across dry bed. And then thousands of Egyptians being wiped out. God is a powerful and mighty God. He's a God that you want to go wow at. It's an amazing picture, isn't it? He wants us to go wow. And you see, this picture of Exodus that we see, 
of this deliverance of God is almost like the paradigm picture for God's salvation from here on in. It's almost like the pattern of how God is going to save from here on in. If you go throughout the rest of the Old Testament, the big saving thing that they come back to is to the Exodus. When you get to the New Testament, they start talking about that, but they bring in the full picture. The Exodus is a small picture of what God's going to do on the big world, on the big stage continually, and what he has done ultimately in Jesus. You see, we too in this world are a world that is drowning with the sea on one side and hills on the other. We were impacted by sin and we're impacted by the brokenness of this world and we're in the middle of it and we're thinking, how can we possibly be saved in amongst that? God, what are you doing in this world? How are you going to deliver us? And he steps in, doesn't he, in the cross. Jesus steps in. He comes into the mess. He steps into it, the brokenness of this world, and he goes to the cross. He dies and he rises again and he parts the sea for us so that we can be in relationship with God forever. In John 5, 24, it says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He will not be judged, but he has crossed over from death to life. That's where the Israelites went. They were facing death. But God parted the seas and they crossed over from death to life. We too are facing death without Jesus, but God opens it up in him and we cross over from death to life. In Jesus' life, death and resurrection, God wants us to go, wow. And sometimes I think we forget to do that. Sometimes it rolls off our tongue, doesn't it? If you're at church every Sunday, you will get the fact that I will tell you that every week and I'm not going to stop telling you that every week. But that sometimes means that you're going to get complacent about it and so will I. I'll hear it, I'll read it, you'll hear it, you'll read it. You think, yeah, Jesus has done that for me. That's great. God's done that for me. That's great. Okay, now I just... But we are really supposed to sit back and go, wow. Yeah, I need to be grabbed by that. Because you see, people don't come back from the dead. But Jesus did. I've buried over 180 people in my 18 years here. Over. It's probably closer to 200. And none of them are walking around now. None of them. And I know some of your loved ones are there and I know that and you feel that, don't you? And you feel the angst of that. You feel the pain of that. But Jesus is. Jesus has risen from the dead. He is alive forevermore. And he says, if you put your trust in me, then you will do that too. And God wants us to go, wow, at that. How often do we go, wow, at that? How often do we sit back and go, God, you are amazing. You have taken me from death to life. You've done that in Jesus because he has done it. The 
guys back then too, they, they had to wait a little bit, didn't they? You know, they heard the promises of God. Genesis chapter 12, that was a long time before Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 3 is probably oh, maybe 40 to 50 years after when that happened as well. Uh, in the middle of this, God's promises, they're going to find they have to wait for another 40 years. I'm going to tell you that next week. But get, there's this sense, isn't there, that God does keep his promises, but there's almost an interim period where within that he wants us to trust him. We have that interim period too, don't we? Jesus has died, he's risen from the dead, he says he's going to come back, but we need to be within that. God is going to keep that promise, God's. Jesus is going to return, and within that time frame, God wants us to trust him because he keeps his promises. And as we trust him and as we look at him, we are to go, wow. Because that's what the Israelites actually do. If you go to the end of the passage in chapter 14, you'll see at the end in verse 31, uh, this is what happens. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses his servant. Their response was, wasn't it, to put their trust in him, in God, and trust in Moses. That's an interesting one, isn't it? They haven't said that before. But now they see that Moses is... God's messenger. Moses is God's person here today and they trust him. We too are to trust him. Trust God in the interim because he keeps his promises. But not only are we to trust him but we are to praise him as well. Uh, In chapter 15, I'm not going to do the whole lot for you. If you would have been here to 12 o'clock to read all that. Uh, But if you read chapter 15, it's two beautiful songs. One written by Moses, one written by Miriam, who's Moses' mum. Uh, and there's these two songs, and these two songs are responses to what God has just done. And if you read through them, I'll just read the first part. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I'll sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and rider has hurl- he has hurled into the sea. And then it goes on and it talks about who God is, what God has done and what his character is, and that we are to praise him because of that. And then Miriam's song is the same, that we are to praise God because of what he has done and who God is. And this is the first time we hear of songs in the Bible. It's a praise point, isn't it? This is a time when they're ecstatic about what God has done and they praise him in song. You wonder why we sing here on Sunday. Well, that's a good reason, isn't it? We might think that's really weird in our culture unless you're in the shower by yourself. But it is to be praised, God. It's to sing praises to him. It actually uplifts you and lets you go forward. Why do you think football teams sing their anthems at the end of the game when they win? It's arousing, isn't it? It's a praise thing. You would have heard Hawthorne going crazy yesterday. Or you would have heard New Zealand going crazy, which probably wasn't so good. But it is, isn't it? When you win and you have a victory and things are great, then you sing. Even blokes do it in a huddle with halves around each other. That's the sense that we have too, that we have to praise God, to sing to him. And this, in a sense, isn't just when we gather here. We can sing any time. We can praise God in lots of ways, not just in song. But song is a good way to do it. So even if you have a bad voice like me, go for it. Go hard, guys. That's what God wants us to do, is to sing praises to him because we've gone, wow, at how good he is. How he keeps his promises. How his salvation is for us for eternity how he takes us across the sea from death to life and gives us life now and life eternally. 
He has delivered us to be his people in his kingdom, living under his rule for eternity. How good is that? Trust him. Praise him. Because he has the wow factor, doesn't he? If you're watching The Voice at the moment, or if you're watching uh, The X Factor or any of those things, all the judges come up, don't they, and they say, you've got the X Factor. You've got the wow factor. What's the wow factor? It's the one that takes your breath away, the one that says, I think you can do it. I believe that you're going to be great and wonderful. Well, our God has the wow factor. Not because he's possibly got it, but he has got it. He's delivered the Israelites from Egypt. He's delivered us from sin and death. He truly is a God to be praised because he is amazing. He is a God that we want to go, wow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we take a moment to contemplate the story of the Exodus as we take a moment to contemplate your amazing hand of deliverance, Lord, of your salvation, Lord, for them, and ultimately, Lord, your deliverance and salvation for us in Jesus. Lord, I deserve it. We truly don't deserve to be saved. And in your grace and your mercy, you've reached out to us and grabbed us in Jesus and brought us to yourself in him, Lord, so that we can be your people in your kingdom for eternity. Lord, help us never to lose the wow factor of that. Help us to trust and praise you in that. Help us, Lord, to bow before you and recognise how great and wonderful you are. Just how amazing you are. We pray this in Jesus' name.